You're listening to the Around the Lens podcast, the home of high-quality, roundtable, visual journalism discussion about the news, topics, and gear related to our career field. Now, here's the host of our show, David J. Murphy. (laughs) Hello and welcome to episode 242 of Around the Lens. I am your host, David J. Murphy. Uh, Joining me this week, I have two regular co-hosts and one guest. My first regular co-host is Travis Keyes, uh, chairman of the APA and a, a photographer based out of New York. Hello, Travis. How are you? I'm doing well, and it's a good thing you introduced me first so Evelyn can swallow her breakfast right before going live. That's right. If we need a vamp longer, Evelyn, you just let us know. With a, just blink once for yes, <laughs> we can, twice we can for talk no. talk about all kinds of stuff. You know, get a sip of coffee, you know, relax. <laughs> it's all good. I'm drinking yeah. tea. The life of the working journalist, you know. I know. Indeed. It never ends. It never Indeed. ends. Eating on the go. I tell you. Uh, our other regular co-host joining us this week We've missed you. It's been too long. Miss Evelyn Hochstein, a Washington, D.C.-based freelance photojournalist. Hello, Evelyn. How are you? I am good. Glad to be with you guys. And I soon, our guest. Nice to see you all again. Indeed. Nice to see you as well. D.C. is cool. Quiet. I know you got a lot of stuff going on in your life. Can we talk about it on the air? Should we talk about it on the air? No? Okay. (laughs) We'll keep that under wraps. We'll keep that a mystery to the listeners. Indeed. All right. Uh, Well, I'm very uh, proud to introduce our guest this week, uh, Maisun. She is coming out to us all the way from Madrid, Spain, and she is a Spanish-slash-Palestinian independent visual journalist, mainly focused in documentary and wire storytelling. Hello, Maisun. How are you doing today? Hi, how are you? I'm doing Good, great. Very well. And you? I'm doing great. Glad to have you on the program. How is everything going on in Spain? Oh, well, it's, it's well. I mean, we still have um, the pandemic, so it's not, it's weird times, but, yeah. but we still have the summer. So, I mean, yeah, we're, we're more or less okay. Yeah. That's good. How are the numbers in your country? Are they, are they going down? Well, are they are. Oh no! I wish uh, they are increasing, oh, uh, no. but I didn't by the hour. Oh, and no. but the problem is that people they are not taking seriously anymore the situation really? because we already they they don't want to be under lockdown, so right. they are just doing their life and and it's going to be a problem for I think for a long time. But oh, but um, so we have to be extra careful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And has COVID affected how you do your job and your ability to do your job? Uh, the truth is that, well, at the beginning, uh, I, I I had an assignment from a, a, a German magazine, uh, Die Zeit. But, you know, because the situation was a, a little bit confusing all around the world, they started assigning us uh, because it started in Italy and Spain. Uh, well, after China, of course. But as soon as they got uh, their own wave, uh, they kind of like a little bit. Of, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't want to say abandon us, but certain assignments were like uh, disappeared from you know, like in a moment. So yeah, it was it was weird, you no. Know? But um, after some time, I decided 
that I, I was not covering the story because I'm asthmatic. Right. So I decided it was, you know, there were other people, our colleagues, they were doing a great job and they didn't risk so much. So so I stayed at home and I I did other other things, no other stuff. Like I um, I collaborated uh, with a friend of mine that he's a musician and he was doing a, a video clip about the how women in different countries of the world um, how they deal with the with the pandemic and the situation and the isolation. So. So we were, I think we were like, I'm not, I don't really remember, but I think it was like 30 female directors from all over the world uh, filming our, our, our um, own situation. Wow. And it, it turned out really nice, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really cool. So it was not all useless no you know staying at home and not knowing what to do right and feeling isolated from your yeah. family or especially if you're in different cities right. so so at least uh we had the chance to do something yeah. something good in terms of work that's yeah. good no i mean it's essentially you keep yourself busy you know in this trying time and i'm glad you're able to do that we've talked about many times you know the kind of Trying to find ways to keep busy, especially if you can't go anywhere or do anything, or if you can, doing it safely. Um, yeah. So I'm sure I'm sure you're out there. You're wearing the mask, or you're keeping your distance, and all the, the basic core tenants, right? Yeah, yeah. Now I'm I'm 100 uh, percent uh, back to work and oh, that's and great. doing my job. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been doing it since uh, the like first of July. Yeah. So. I mean, you have to earn money, so right. you 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 need to put your mask and and keep your distance as much as you can, and and do your job. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, stay safe out there, um, and uh, you know, stay cross healthy. Cross fingers. Indeed, cross fingers. Yeah. yeah. And then wash your hands after you cross your fingers, because you never know where your fingers. Of course. Are <laughs> Before and after. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into our first story this week. Uh, it's all about the. California's controversial AB5 bill and how now freelance photographers are exempt from its sort of uh, its law. So again, this was a law that was um, signed by current, um, California Governor Gavin Newsom. And basically, this new law exempts photographers and other type of independent contractors from what May said was a, you know, a controversial law. And it was signed in September 2019. It took effect in January of this year. And it's primarily designed to prevent the misclassifying of employees as independent contractors. And it's stemmed primarily from the whole like Uber, Lyft, sort of this casual gig economy that was kind of driving, you know, growing up. And, you know, again, these people work for Lyft or Uber or these other companies, you know, 40 hours a week, maybe more, and they get no benefits from that you know, job, you know, they're just basically working whatever money they can make. And so anyways, under the law, uh, freelance photographers were initially limited to just 35 submissions or assignments per client per year, which comes out to about three per month. So an employer can make the decision of either bringing on a photographer full time or just hiring someone else. And so many photographers were worried that this would cost them work because obviously, you know, a business isn't just going to hire an employee if they can help it. They're going to just find another photographer, right? 
So anyways, many felt the original law was too harsh and this law sought to fix that. So, you know, let me throw it out to you all. And, and first, you know, talk about you, uh, my soon, um, in terms of what your mm-hmm. thoughts are. And I know you're a freelancer, right? Right. So, so, you know, what do you think about, you know, sort of this law and how it's enacted and how it's fixed? Do you think the fix is good enough and will actually make a difference uh, for, you know, the freelance photographer in the California? Well, I, I think it can be, it could be a good thing if it was done mm, in a good way. Right. But it can be really dangerous and damaging for, for the freelancers because nobody is uh, is actually, um, or, or this law is not um, not giving the freelancers uh, a, a minimum of work. Mm-hmm. Like, mm, I don't know how to explain that. I'm sorry, my English maybe is not that good. But but um, if this law uh, made sure that these freelancers are going to have um, at least more than three gigs per month from right. any client, it would be okay. But but this way, I think it's it's good for the for the for the companies, but for the freelancers, it can be tricky because. It can be in that it, it can be mean that uh, the companies are are actually hiring just different freelancers and and yeah. so in the end everybody everybody like the freelancers lose. No? You know, I think so, it make it much harder for the average freelancer probably to make an income, especially if they have a good relationship with the, you know the the company that's paying them and hiring them for sure. And I think I think this law would have been good if it helped create a path towards full time work for those freelancers if exactly. they so desired it. Like if this generated more staff jobs, I think there could have been a lot more, you know, benefit from it. Um, you know, uh, I think everyone on the show here is a freelancer, but you know, I'll throw it over to you, Evelyn. We haven't heard you uh, talk about things in a while. You know, were you following this law at all? Do you do you have any thoughts about sort of freelance laws in general? Do you think there should be more yeah, freelance I, laws? Well, I think it's. I mean. I think, first of all, these are like broad, very uh, wildly different types of corporations. So like take Uber versus like the Los Angeles Times or any newspaper that's like been undergoing like financial problems. So I love the idea of wanting to support workers and helping workers and giving them the benefits and the protections that we need because we all take Uber and Lyft and we know how hard people are working full time and they're probably just making, you know, uh, just above minimum wage and they're paying for these cars and car insurance. So, and these are multi-million dollar corporations, unfortunately. So I absolutely hundred percent believe that we have a gig economy and there are not enough protections for workers. So yeah. in theory, I think the law was really going, it was the right idea. Let's protect workers. But in our industry where newspapers are constantly going out of business or going bankrupt or shrinking. I mean, the LA Times was just bought by, you know, a multimillionaire, like similar to the Washington Post. Um, Yeah, they rely on a tremendous amount of freelancers. I think the Washington Post has maybe, well, they've just hired two people, but like 19 staff photographers, if I'm correct, and like a slew of freelancers. Um, And I certainly need them to work. I need to work more than three days a week for them, like my main client. You know, other clients, maybe not, and you supplement. But I think the idea, um, yeah, that would just, sure, would all freelancers love to be hired by newspapers? Yes. Should we maybe be hired by newspapers or get more protections or have benefits or have some, 
union behind us to help us at least get like better day rates or, or better protections if we're injured, all of those things. But do I see it being feasible in like today's age and the current state of newspapers and the budgets that they work under? Probably not. So in that regard, this law would definitely hurt freelancers. And it just doesn't seem to apply. I don't think you can make such a broad sweeping bill when industries are so totally different. Um, but to that point, I think we as freelance photographers also, I wish we were like, we could unionize. And I wish we had better protections um, because there are certain areas where, you know, we need we need those those things, and it may not come from our employer. But forcing a employer to make that choice, like we're going to lose in that industry, yeah, for sure. Now, I'm sure I that think. the changes will come from the photo bill of rights, of course, that ironclad document. Um, right. So you yeah. Know, so those are my yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. You bring up an interesting point, you know, about wanting to be a staffer if, if the staff opportunity was there to you know you would take it you know obviously uh, Travis you've been a freelancer for a while would you like if there was a full-time position that allowed you to do what you do currently would you take something like that or do you do you prefer the freelance life well I gotta tell you uh, uh, just the current economic uh, climate and uh, what we're seeing from unemployment as being a freelancer because of COVID and stuff like that, um, it really makes you kind of think and wonder about something, a comment like that. And uh, yeah. I think uh, it shows uh, how delicate the balance is, especially right now when uh, if there wasn't a, you know pandemic assistance and something like that. And, and and we saw how difficult it was for all of us as freelancers to actually apply, get through, and uh, try and get on unemployment, which uh, doesn't usually protect us as freelancers and uh, it took a special, you know, uh, uh, it's it just it. It's it's we walk a dangerous line as freelancers, and right yeah. now, uh, um, I I think Evelyn it brings up a very good point. You know, the the Uber driver is very different than the 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 photographer, and uh, right now, uh, yeah, you know, you want some stability and balance, and uh, we would love to see some sort of you know unionization or or, or uh, I think you know some sort of protection or you know, just some standardization i don't it's hard to say that too but because uh, you don't want to do too much but at the same time you want everybody to you know be treated justly and you know you got to think about healthcare. you got to think about you know standard rates and not you know people pitching you know like there's some people that work for nothing or some people that work for a lot and there has to be yeah. something that protects us and it's it's a really difficult situation and there's not one bill that's going to kind of correct that and uh, and certain bills can really hurt that so yeah this is a tough one yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there a freelancer's health insurance like plan or something, or, or some sort of freelancers thing like that? There's, there's a group that uh, calls themselves the freelancers, and you can go in and. But I mean, it's just like anything else; you're paying into uh, another thing. It's not, uh, you know, it's not. It wasn't. It's established by you know uh, an organization. It's not the government. It's not any, you know a, a, a specific you know union. It's just you know it's a group that calls them the freelancers. You know? mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, you can, any freelance, oh, sorry, Dave, I was just going to say, we can get access to healthcare. I mean, I'd pay for my own healthcare. It's right. just extremely expensive and you expensive, never get yeah. the benefit of your mm -hmm. employer contributing at all. So it's, you know, it's out of pocket and, um, and, you know, I guess we do have uh, the Affordable Care Act, so it's available. Anybody can get healthcare, but you're either getting some sort of catastrophic plan or, or some really expensive, like what I pay, like pre, you know, monthly premium. So there's not, I haven't really found a good balance there. Yeah, I mean, that's again what I was going to is that there is 
you know, an organization that uses the power of the group to help get lower rates for healthcare within among freelancers. Is, is there something like that that exists or do you have to buy your own healthcare outright? I and mean, certainly the freelancers union is a, is a, is an organization that tries to facilitate that and that right. you know they have all kinds of you know uh, educational things and 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 to help you, you know, in in many different facets of your career um, uh, as well as trying to find you the right uh, kind of healthcare but unfortunately th there is no kind of cheap version and uh, or good version to it yeah hey my soon <laughs> My soon, how's that freelance life doing in Spain? And and would you be a staffer if you had the opportunity or, or full time job? Well, first of all, it's a disaster, absolute disaster. I've been a freelancer for seventeen years. Wow! And man, if I could have uh, a con a contract ever again, like if if I was offered a contract, uh, I would have taken it in in a blink. Right. I mean. If someone told me, "Hey, you know, um, you want a, do you want to be a staffer?" I mean, for for me, you know, uh, in in all these years, I think um, I never knew anyone here in this country that that didn't have already a contract, you know, for for an old contract because the people that are in in, in the people working in media that are uh, staffers are the ones that are about to to um, to retire. They are they 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 don't want to uh, kick them out because they are they they have been so long in the company that it would be actually more expensive to kick them out. So yeah. they let them stay there, but they don't offer any any new contract to to younger people. Right. So it's it's just something. It's like it's kind of like to be a dinosaur in in this in in this industry. And I think uh, no media right now is offering any contract, and that's terrible because first of all, it's uh, well, it's terrible. It's it's terrible for us because we don't have uh, stability, economical stability. I cannot talk about um, health insurance because in Spain uh, we have we have a public uh, healthcare system, right. mm -hmm. which I'm so grateful that we have because it would be horrible if we didn't have it. Right. So I cannot ima imagine uh, what is your situation, but but also we 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 have a a, a different problem I think because. For example, here uh, we like we earn so so few uh, euros that that you cannot even think about living alone. You have to share your flat with with uh, with flatmates. Like if you were 20 years old and you were studying, no. So yeah. it's it's I think it's different kind of uh, problems. So, or maybe they are the same. I, I don't know. But but also I think uh, beside the money part. I think it's about quality also um, in your work. You know, if you don't, if you, if you're not a staffer, and go out and spend one month to to do a, a, a story, you know, and 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 you need to work on the contacts, you need to to produce your work, you need to pay for everything. 
and the media don't uh, they 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 don't uh, pay for the expenses. They don't want to pay for the expenses. Then uh, you cannot do a good job in the end. Like you do less that you should be doing. Right. And and in the end, what you what what we're um, what we're uh, um, publishing is not the best of, of us, no? And I think in the end, in, in the last 15, 20 years, uh, magazines have lost a lot of quality. Of course, so many magazines have uh, actually disappeared, but, but also the ones that are still standing, uh, they lack of quality. It's wow. you know I sometimes I, I I check some some magazines that I have from the 90s and and I realized the, the 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 stories were like six eight pages for one story wow. like they, they they used to dig deep no and now it's like one or two pages and and it's like what like three four pictures before it was like uh, I don't know 15 pictures and with good space so so i think if if you destroy the the economic model if you destroy the industry then you're destroying also what you're offering uh to the viewers they you're you're destroying the quality that you're offering and that's 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 important but it's all it's also very uh it's serious because you have a responsibility of uh of doing your best job i think yeah, totally. And uh, Evelyn, it seemed like you were kind of nodding with what she was saying with regard to sort of the industry and, and the quality and whatnot. Have you seen that sort of decline in the newspaper industry? Well, I feel like there used to be this word called reportage that existed. And like now, I mean, and certainly in European magazines, like I used to shoot sometimes for El Pais, like the German magazines, oh. and they were so known there their photography um, and it's so true it's it's so depressing um I think newspapers definitely invest in um, do invest and I, I see in the Washington Post but for staffers or um, yeah, also online they do have like their visual blogs like insight um, blog but it's different it's harder to get the space in. the print newspaper is so thin now so you may see it in their Sunday magazine um, or you may see it online, but to actually see it like in a physical print newspaper, which is dying out. It doesn't mean that news is dying, but I think that medium is dying. Um, and we just have to look for it in different ways. But you know, yeah, the 90s, I mean, okay, I only started working in like 99 or 98, but the early 2000s were the time when there were, you know, photo agencies and people would fly in from all over the world and cover, you know, international news. I mean, I was an international photojournalist. I was based in Nairobi. There was a bureau from every single newspaper, you know, that's when I did my work for the Spanish media, um, FA and El Pais and those. But anyway, um, they don't, ex nobody has a bureau. There are no bureaus left. You know, I left Nairobi and every, everyone had a bureau. And as far as I know, they're, they, they're gone. So, yeah, to your long-winded answer to your question. But that, that day has changed a lot. And we've seen most of these outlets um, either go bankrupt or shrink or go out of business or merge. And, and the world has changed. Our, our appetites are different. And younger people, you know, we look at, we use media differently. So you can't just say it's all negative. But we have social media. We have mobile phones. 
we have high speed internet. So our consumption of the news is totally different. And it's important to like look at that also instead of just look at the good old days of like great magazine spreads, which we all miss, but it's also just a different way of consuming the news. But I would say as a general overall reaching concept, our in-depth, we do not go as in-depth as we used to. And that's for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Not even online. I mean, you know, maybe not in the sort of print space, obviously, but you know, I mean, you know, you can go online and see like a photo gallery with 50 images, you know, on it, or sometimes they do long form. I don't know. I think we do. I think we're losing some people. I don't know about this connection, Dave, but I'll, so, but I'll keep talking. Um, I think oh. we do go on, but you have to remember with, with the speed and everyone needs to put something out with breaking news. So you see more like things coming out quickly and less in-depth reporting and, and maybe we do, but often yeah. things come out too quickly and there are mistakes and retractions. And even when we do something in depth, it's it's just not quite as, uh, we're not able, I think, to give it the time and uh, commitment that we used to just because of the demands of our fast paced news cycle. So I think even the deepest, you know, magazine reporters or investigative reporters or even like the ProPublicas of the world, I think that we were moving at a different speed and it's not quite yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think in the few instances That's where true. I've seen really in-depth reporting has been from, you know, the New York Times or the LA Times or these really large publications that have the budget behind them. But when they do it well, it's really amazing what they can do with you know, the interactive medium that is the internet, you know, for instance, a few years ago, uh, there was some great reporting done on the avalanche that was at a, you know, the ski mountain resort or whatever. And like, you know, a lot of people had died and were stuck and, and whatnot. Um, so that was, it was very well done. A lot of interactive elements, 3d elements and stuff like that. So really interesting to see that. Being interactive. I mean, I love now when I do some, I get to see more of my photographs than I may have even in a, in a magazine spread. But I think we have to be careful though. And the, the scope, um, yeah, it's, it's fewer, fewer and far between, I would say. We just live in a faster place. Yeah. Indeed. indeed. Is everyone here? Yeah, yeah we got we you. you. We yeah. got you. I see Travis. I assume you just came back. You were gone for oh there. Hear you. I but I heard you. you. I hear you. So yeah, we heard everything. Um, all right. Well, let's let's talk about that because I mean, again, you know, uh, it is a changing world, right? And you got to change with it, or you know, get kind of left in the dust, right? And our guest, Mysoon, you know, you've been doing, of course, all kinds of great things with conflict photojournalism, documentary photography, general storytelling. You said for seventeen years, uh, but you also have taken oh, up cinematography. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about your experience, you know, getting into cinematography, why you chose to kind of explore that sort of artistic craft and, and where it's taken you so far. Well, um, I just started, I must say that. So it's not, it's not a long path. But yeah. uh, in 2011, uh, you know, this story is actually a little bit weird and it's funny because I was in a I was in a bus from Barcelona to Zaragoza, which is my hometown, and and the guy that was sitting sitting next to me was um, um, a theater director, and uh, we started talking about life, about things, and we got along really well, and uh, we exchanged business cards, but he he didn't talk about anything in details, no. So the next day he 
he sent me a, an email and he said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm preparing a film. I'm doing this and, and it's a very personal thing. It's about, um, it's about uh, uh, mistreatment and gender violence. And, uh, but it's a real theatrical uh, setup. So I'm, I'm, I'm just recruiting th people and I love your job. I love what you do with the light. And I want you to do the cinematography. And I was like, um, man, I never did that before. So he said, okay, do you understand light? And do, do you can do in my film, what do you do in, in my pictures? And I don't know. I. <laughs> I don't know why I said yes at first. <laughs> <laughs> Something I don't know. I don't know why I did it, but I did. I said yes, thinking that it was easier than I thought, maybe, and um, and that it was a small project. I thought it was a small project. So, so when I got there, he he told me, no, it's a really familiar thing it's just a bunch of friends and blah 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 and I was like oh okay great and, and when I, when I got there uh, it was uh, the best people in the film industry in Spain were working in that oh, film and actors and actresses I don't know if you know Maribel Verdú for example she works a lot of in in France and um, Eduardo Noriega I don't know if you guys know him it's okay it's the spanish version of vanilla sky oh, he was yeah, one okay. of the yeah so it's the original version that was spanish he was the one of the the, the actors nice so it was full of amazing people and it was like oh shit why did i say yes i have no clue what to do so i did what i did and and it was okay and and you know um, as we were filming, I realized that it was a, a huge uh, job and that I could do it well, but it could be always better. And I think I'm a, a perfectionist. Uh, I've always been a perfectionist. And, and so I decided to study that. And I did a master's in cinematography. And um, of course, now I, I, I think what I did it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good thing because you know you get better with time so yeah. but I'm interested what I what I know is that even though sometimes I work in TV or in film I I, I you know I realize that what I like and what I've always feel like is uh, reality and I'm a storyteller of real uh, stories so I want to I want to use that cinematography in, but in a, in, in, in my documentary work, you know, so for me, uh, being a cinematographer is a way to widen, amplify my, my visual skills to tell the stories I, 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 I do in pictures or in video, but in a better way. I think, uh, it's a very technical, uh, job and I think uh, the the good thing is that if you have a good narrative if you have a visual narrative you can do whatever you want like uh, uh, 
because many people, I think it's a, it's an advantage to be a photographer before a, a cinematographer, because uh, if you already have that narrative in in in, in your head, uh, then it's I think it's easier to to make that in in, in motion, you know. So for me, well, I'm still creating, I'm still adjusting, I'm still um uh, learning but but i think it's a uh, it, it's a long way and i'm i'm not changing my 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 job i'm not changing uh to a different profession i'm just widening my skills and and trying to jump into documentaries classic ones okay so you want to do documentary <laughs> filmmaking yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to like more fictional or like you know scripted yeah. filmmaking. I mean, if it's scripted, uh, or if it's fiction, it should be something that that has that still has a a social background, a social you know essence. I'm interested in in, in stories about life and about humans and injustice and and that that's what I like. In the end, uh, a storyteller can can be a, a storyteller uh, with words, with images, with motion, with whatever you want. It's it's just uh, different languages. What I think it's important nowadays that we have um, so many different uh, uh, so many different um, tools in our hands is that you can mix all that. You can do motion. You can do multimedia. You can do, uh, I don't know, uh, this kind of web websites that when you're scrolling down, uh, it activates audio, it, it activates uh, still photography, it activates video. So I think it's a, we are lucky to be in, in, in this decade and with so many, so many tools in our hands. I think it's, uh, there's so many toys you can use. So. I think the important thing is that you know what you want to tell, mm -hmm. you know how you know how to do it, and you just go for it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Yeah, that was great. I mean, I'm actually taking a class in documentary filmmaking right now, and I've been learning a lot uh, from it. And and really, you know, for looking at my own background in the art form, I've never been formally trained in how to do video or filmmaking or documentary style anything everything i've learned has sort of been reverse engineered from what i've been able to see you know from my own documentaries or just doing them myself and sort of learning by mistakes and so the yeah. the course i'm going through has been really helpful in just sort of getting someone's opinion and someone you know, someone's experience who's done it you know many times and has had that experience of actually gotten their film made and put it published on netflix and you know, other sort of platforms. And it's really helped kind of condense everything. And, you know, again, it's like what, what people go to school for, right? It's to learn from other people's mistakes. It's to get sort of that training that they wouldn't, you know, would normally get, take them 10 years, right, in the real world. And they can they can get and learn it from somebody who's already been through it and had those mistakes. So, um, yeah, I think that's a that's an admirable effort there. And I'm, I'm wishing you all the best of luck on your documentary filmmaking career. Um, Thank you. You know, I was thinking about my own... Um, filmmaking sort of goals and whatnot with regard to my recent change to the Canon R5 and my strip down of really all my other lenses. So like I used to kind of ha want to have the 
entire set of every single possible lens that a camera manufacturer made, you know, besides just the Holy Trinity, you know, I'd want like the 50 millimeter 1.4 and the macro and the super zoom, but having stripped down to just one lens and one camera body has really made me sort of think about, you know, the art form a bit more creatively and trying to get more capability from what I have. And it's also forced me to use and it kind of encouraged me to use my other platforms like my drone. I've taken my drone out, you know, a lot more in the last few weeks and used that to help me get aerial shots more so than I have probably in the last few years since owning the drone. And it's just kind of like, it's another tool in sort of the toolbox, which includes, you know, the, the camera and the drone and the you know, the action camera. So I'm, I'm getting more use out of all those cameras now. So I, or at least I feel, um, but you know, yeah, filmmaking, cinematography, that's definitely something that uh, I see as sort of my future. And, you know, it's interesting. You don't see it as necessarily something that you're going to switch to, but just something you might be doing in addition to all your other work forms, which include, you know, your painter as well as a photographer and everything like that. And that's kind of my other question is how do you balance all those different artistic mediums how do you, you decide how much time to devote to one or the other oh uh, i i don't really choose or i don't really rationalize the process i think i i just flow and and well most most of my time i think i invest in my in my documentary photography and breaking news when i when i work but uh i used to do it before i i used to do it more uh before uh, I used to jump in every place that was hot, no, and and I think right now I'm I'm all, I'm more interested in in doing um like long term uh, projects, no, like more investigative, more more like slower. I think uh, I I think uh, there there's a there's a moment that that you have maybe maybe that that you have enough or or that you that you need a change in terms of how fast you move in this in this job and uh, I used to move really fast and you know I, I used to go from war to war or hot spot to hot spot and I was actually uh, based in Nairobi for a while too and I loved it. <laughs> I so loved Kenya. I'm always looking for excuses to go back there, actually. Uh, but I don't know. There's not much job. It's full of stories. But if you don't have uh, fixed clients that can rely on you on the field, it's 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 difficult to 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 live there. I think because I don't know if you, Evelyn, got a, a work permit in the end. How long did you did you stay there? I was seven years. And seven I years. Didn't have a work. Yeah, it worked well, pretty well for me. But I was working, shooting for the New York Times, so I had a really good base and other American newspapers oh. and um, some NGOs. Uh, yeah, it worked. It was. It, it worked for me. Um, you know, but I was there a long time, and I had uh, some good connections when I. Well, I would say I had a connection when I went there, but then it sort of fell through, but then I started shooting for the New York Times, so that helped a lot. Um, I don't know what years yeah. you were there. I was there from 2002 to 2008. Yeah. Well, I think you you catch the good times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just, uh, it was, just it before was, the crisis. Right, right, right. 
So the, the, the election violence, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I covered that and then I, I left that following year. But, um, but yeah, so it worked out okay for me. Um, but there is a lot of competition. It was hard, you know, there, but back then there were a lot of opportunities there. There were a lot more yeah. foreign, um, every newspaper from everywhere had a bureau. Every television channel had a bureau. Every magazine had a bureau. It's not like that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, again, you know, I want to throw it to uh, Travis and Evelyn with regard to sort of cinematography as a career field. You know, would either of you consider switching or moving more towards that? I started in film and TV. <laughs> That's right, you did. Yeah, I okay. worked in film. I worked in film industry for a while. I went to NYU Film School. I worked in uh, Hollywood and productions in New York and, and Hollywood, and uh, worked on film sets and uh, for a long time. Uh, I think uh, if uh, you're going to be a freelancer and work in multimedia, you have to work in multimedia. You have to. Yeah. It, it's uh, especially nowadays. Uh, people always ask, "Oh, do you shoot film as well as, or do you shoot video uh, as well as photos?" And uh, I think if you want to kind of uh, be relevant and stay working uh you need to know both would you ever go back yeah. i've never left it i mean i i certainly uh i've been uh, a set photographer on on movies now so i've kind of bridged that uh world uh together uh shooting uh you know as a set photographer on films uh i've uh certainly shot uh my fair share of uh uh video stuff uh in terms of uh you know uh uh, advertising or you know promo pieces or, or, or documenting stuff um, uh, I think I, it's just another tool in my in my box uh, so I, I where I love photography and I call myself a photographer I also have the the, the video aspect of it I I, I, I gravitate more to photography just because I think video is uh, something that uh, is a very different beast entirely. You're constantly trying to shoot in different angles and coverage so you can edit and uh, when you edit it's you know a nightmare of, of you know endless possibilities of a jigsaw puzzle that you include sound which is a whole other beast and uh, it's it's in, you know it, it's it's really kind of a daunting process and uh, you have to love it to, to do it uh, whereas photography for me I have that image pretty much set in my head when I take that picture and I know how I'm going to edit it even when I don't know how it's a fun process for me to edit a photo yeah yeah that it's is that, true that is one of the benefits of photography you just pick up the camera you do your thing you make your selects add a caption upload you're done <laughs> move on to something else but even the process of editing a photo for me is is enjoyable i mean it's it's it, it, there's it, it makes logic it's one frame whereas not a series of frames or you know color correct i mean it's it, for film adding audio and and uh, color correcting and 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 doing editing and, and making those pieces fit together and and you can pace it so differently i mean it, you can take uh, a a an, an editor that works with comedic timing an editor that works dra drama and they can take the same two pieces and make them look so different. I mean, it's, there's so much power in editing. Uh, uh, not that there isn't in photography, but with the you know, film editing that that whole pace and beats and, and, and all of that is, is an, it's an incredibly labor intensive process. That's really even, I mean, films that are okay, you give it to a good editor and wow, man, they can do some amazing stuff with it. Uh, it's uh, there's, there's a lot to be said in that. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Evelyn, you know you you said you've dabbled a little bit in video, but would you ever move and switch over to it completely, or is it photo for life? 
Hmm, that's a tough question. I mean, I do love the documentary aspect, and, and that's what I would like to do, little documentary pieces. Um, I could see switching over. Yeah, I could I could see it. I don't have the skill set right now. I find it really difficult um, to think about all those elements and to edit. Um, I think I naturally have an eye for, like, the shooting part of it, but the technical skills, I'm a little bit weakened, um, and I'd have to feel more comfortable. But I, I could see myself switching over. I don't know if I really will just for practical purposes, but... Yeah. I, I feel it. I love the sound. I love the movement. I love the like extra sensory information you get. Um, I think it's easier in some ways to capture things than in a still photo, but I think it's technically um, a lot more challenging and there's a lot of art in editing and storytelling. Um, so I'm not taking away. I don't think it's easier to be a videographer. I just think sometimes when I'm shooting stills, I'm like, this is a time when a still photo doesn't capture everything in the way that movement or sound would explain a story. So I like that element a lot. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's yeah. two totally different skill sets and mindsets for sure. And, you know, it's interesting what you said, Travis, about color. Uh, the Canon R5 was actually my first experience doing like color grading on uh, video. Like before I'd always, you know, I looked at it, but I, I never really got time to look at those wheels and color correction stuff and DaVinci. It's so complicated and deep and what you can do there. But I shot in C-Log for the first time with the Canon. So I'd never shot in a log format before. And just being able to, like, really manipulate the scene and just change it so dramatically was, was really neat. I, I don't know if I'll do it again. It was just more of an experiment. But it was it was pretty cool to be able to mess with the color so much. I like that. Yeah, I think the more you get into it and, and serious about shooting your own films, you'll, you'll definitely do it because it, you know, it gives you such a dynamic range and the ability to really kind of create, a, you know, it's it's just another presence, you know, another character almost. That that, yeah. that color is a character in a film, you know, it's like you can make it, uh, you know, very dark and moody or you can bring it bright or, you know, add, you know, uh, cool colors to make it cold or warm colors to make it warm it's it's really you know not that you don't do that in in uh in photography but uh it it's it, it, it that feels very different in video yeah well i think with like you know the kind of photography me and evelyn do or you know any any documentary you know my soon as well you know we're, we're trying to get the image to look what it looked like when we shot it you know versus necessarily trying to create a mood with the image so you know it can it depends depend on if you're doing more documentary versus commercial but you know, definitely, uh, you know, same And cycle, I'm the same complete opposite of photography. I go fantastical and add stuff and, and, and crop out. I, I, not being a, a journalist allows me a certain freedom to do whatever I want in my head to a Indeed. photographer, to a photo, which is wonderful. It's a great freedom to have. It's a creativity yeah. for sure. Um, but, yeah, loving the R5, by the way. Great camera. I would shoot with – I shot raw with it for the first time, and I found that easier to edit than – the non-raw stuff, but you know, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about camera gear, and I know uh, you know Travis. We're talking about just the story that was published and the rumors and what was been out there. So uh, the Sony A7C has been leaked uh, and then confirmed by other sources. So we know it's coming out. In fact, um, Sony has an event tomorrow, I believe, at 9 a.m. your time, Eastern. Or 10 p.m. My, 10, no, 10 a.m. my time, 9 p.m. your time. They're going to be talking about. They're going to be talking about something, and it might be this. It could be. Who knows? Maybe they're talking yeah. about the PS5. I don't know. Oh, wait, that's later on. That's on the 16th. <laughs> uh, looking forward to getting the price and release date for that. 
Uh, right, ladies? Huh? You're into the PS5, right? Getting that yeah. PS5 when that comes out? Oh yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I'm sure you got that new house just for the PS5, right, Evelyn? Oh right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, anyways, so you know, of course, it's been reported on Petapixel and other places. You know, that Sony has uh, the A7C, and it's supposed to be their sort of lower entry frame, entry level mirrorless full frame camera. Uh, it's being guessed at around $2,100 for the price. Uh, it has a corner EVF, which is kind of its most standout feature, at least, you know, stylistically, that's, you know, styled differently than the other A7 cameras. Uh, but it'll support a 24 megapixel sensor, similar to the, you know, Canon RP and the recently announced Panasonic S5. Uh, it can shoot 10 frames per second. It's got a flip out LCD, 20 to 60 millimeter lens. Um, you know, Obviously, you know, Sony aficionado here. Just on the surface level, Travis, what are your thoughts about this potential camera coming out soon? So this is an odd little bird. Um, I, 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 it's where it fits in is uh, kind of strange, and the price point is, I find, very strange. Uh, where you say lower end, it's not really lower end. It is a full frame, and it's the same specs as the a7 III, uh, the same blue. Oh. Did we lose Travis? Oh, I think the Sony honchos, they target him. <laughs> you can't break that embargo and talk about Sony cameras before they're out. Well, hopefully uh, Travis will come back to us. Uh, Evelyn, I know we you're sort of... Same sense. Am I here? Uh, we lost you for a minute, Trav. Hello, hello, hello. Are you, you're back I'm now. Back. Okay. That was very odd. You said it was, it was uh, an so odd duck camera. Yeah, it's, it's 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 really kind of it's it's a smaller. I I, I think the C must uh, stand for compact. Everything you know, each letter stands for something. You know, right. the R's are being resolution, the S being sensitivity. Uh, this is very much an A7 III, but in a 6600 crop frame body, but it's a full frame camera. They've now added the fully articulating screen. Um, it's uh, it's really kind of geared to, I think, for travel. Um, they're actually coming out with a V line of lenses that are compact and travel lenses that, that will go along with it, um, if this is actually happening. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, so this is, I mean, it's, it's what kind of baffles me is this is a twenty a $2,000 camera, which is the same price as the A7 three so i'm yeah. just like not sure where this really fits in and who's it's 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 an odd it's an odd thing and i'm I, i'm i'm interested in how they're going to pitch it and how uh it's going to be rolled out because uh, uh it's uh I, I don't think it'll have the evf that the a7 three has i think it's mm-hmm. going to be similar but not the same and it's off to the side and it's not you know it, it's 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 an odd it's an odd little camera so we'll see what happens with it i think it's really geared towards uh to bloggers and travel people and right. uh and, and people that are doing some video and stuff like that uh and i think most of the cameras from this point forward will have this same uh, uh articulating screen and and the touch screens and all that kind of stuff what they what is nice about it is the the older bodies uh, it this has the new battery so it will have more power to it oh, uh, so it'll have the, the so it's a, it's a bigger battery than some of the the uh, the, the 6600 the, the earlier uh, yeah. cameras that were compact but uh it's 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 an odd one I'm, we'll see <laughs> do you think it cannibalizes like the a7s and other sort of cameras within the sony series i, I thought the panasonic I, s5 kind of pan, you know uh, cannibalized the s1 sort of uh, market 
And it's that's it's right in there. I mean, it's like it's like why? Which one do I go for? It's like you know, if it's the same specs as an A7, you know. Uh, but you know, it, now it, it, they're doing a black version and that sort of black and silver version. So that's a very Fuji type of thing to do. And it's yeah. like you know, it's like what what are they? It's uh, it's it's like they're doing some multiple things here, and uh, yeah. it's it's weird. It's it's yeah. I'm, and uh, I, I guess it's nice to have a smaller camera and a smaller option that's full frame and uh, kind of uh, something that I think they're really kind of trying to make a uh, travel camera and something that's used for video and stuff like that. So that's interesting. But, uh, uh, you know, I, it, you know, I have their, their small little version, which is this is the, another little blog camera, you know, and this is, you know, a very small one, you know, but uh We'll see, and and they're upping their game on the in the stabilization. Uh, you know, the A7 three uh, uh, S uh, is uh, their 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 stabilization. That is really kind of a game changer. It's really really quite exceptional. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that rolls out into the future cameras. Yeah, we definitely see all the manufacturers kind of getting their vlog camera you know, sort of on with, you know, different sort of, you know, I mean, with Panasonic, it's, they're keeping in the micro four thirds realm, but it is interesting to see that kind of push more towards full frame. I think the Panasonic is trying to bridge that gap, you know, getting the full frame vloggers on board and whatnot. Um, my soon, you know, what are you using out there for your mm-hmm. camera of choice and, and what are your thoughts on, you know, this Sony camera and also just mirrorless mm-hmm. cameras in general? Well, uh, my camera is Canon. Is actually a, a, a 5D3. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not a very, more. I'm not a fan of of gear. Yeah, more or less like that. Uh, I mean, I'm functional. Uh, I'm 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 not always looking for cameras or new cameras in in, in the market. Yeah. I I I like to use a camera that I can rely on. Sure. That it gives me what I want, and and then I'm. I, I use it for as long as I can, basically. Nice. But uh, lately, I've been I've been trying because Sony actually gives me sometimes some gear to try, and I've been working as a set photographer in a TV series in in Spain with the Sony A9. Yeah. And I must say, I completely fell in love with it. <laughs> I I didn't know I, it was gonna be like this. I mean. I thought I thought I was because I tried Fuji before uh, the the um, the what's it uh, in English uh, the X Pro two yeah yeah but but I'm sorry Fuji guys I didn't like it it was too slow for me and the batteries were a disaster uh, they didn't last enough for me and when I work normally, sometimes I work in environments that are really fast. So I need the camera to 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 be able to follow my my lead and and to be able to 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 go, to work fast. And uh, it didn't pass the test. But this yeah. time, this time it was amazing with the with this Sony A9. I'm I'm not making advertising. It, it no, just not sponsored. Hashtag not sponsored. 
Especially on a film set where that thing is so silent, you you actually question if you actually shot the picture or not. And you have to look like, did I actually shoot it? Because it makes no sound whatsoever. Uh, And uh, the A9, for me, it focused so fast. I actually, Sony uh, took me out one day uh, when they did the firmware upgrade for the A9. And and, uh, I went out to a rugby game. They sent me to a rugby game. And I I tried the new 400-2.8 lens on it. And and literally, I would hear something off to the side. And I'd just spin around and shoot it. And this is a fast-acting rugby game. And, you know, and I would get the shot. It focused so fast, yeah. even before my mind could wrap around what was going on. It 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 was that fast, and uh, so so it's almost. A, I think it's a pretty perfect camera, especially for film uh, sets and stuff like that. Being that silent and that fast is it's it's unbelievable. And it's great because, uh, you, you know, at first the the first day I was trying, I thought it was. I thought I, I, I didn't do it right because it was so silent that I was like, <laughs> I'm not doing anything. Why is not doing anything? And then I check and I had already like seven pictures, the same seven pictures, which, which was insane. I was like, okay, whoa, this is a monster. And and then the video clip during the pandemic, I I shot it, I filmed it with, with that because I already had the camera and I didn't give it back yet because of the pandemic. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to keep it a little longer so I can use it uh, for my for my for my project. And and it was amazing, too. So I couldn't keep it, though. I had to give it back. But, <laughs> but now I'm secretly in love with it and I'm trying I'm trying them to to give it to me or something. I don't know how. <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned... I don't think it's going to happen, though. It's funny you mentioned the silent shooting because I think more and more people are understanding that. We've talked about it before, like last week, we talked about, you know, silent shooting on the Hill in that, you know, you're shooting political stuff and, you know, it's kind of like it's required nowadays on certain events that you're shooting. They don't want the shutter sound. And I was actually shooting an event today and I got a complaint about my shutter sound at a shoot and they were like, hey, do you have one of those silent cameras? Can you shoot with that? And I'm like, uh, yeah, actually, I do have one of those. I was using my old fat, my old camera, and I was just because of out of convenience, it was, it was available. But I can shoot mirrorless. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting. It's kind of it's pervasive, and it's kind of getting into the general population, you know, not just us camera nerds who uh, yeah. know about it. Um, you know, Evelyn, I know. I think I, it, I'm sorry, I go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I fell in love very soon with this with the A9. A, Sony let me demo some A9s too, and I had never used the A9 too. And I was like, "Wow, this is a game changer!" But then I knew that yeah. this Canon was actually Canon, and the Canon was coming out, so I haven't switched. And now Dave has one in his hot little hands, so I'm dying to know how it was, even though you don't you haven't shot with the Sony, like. I, I mean, I can answer. You know, I, I have shot with the Sony A7S okay. II. Um, Very different camera. I know, I know. Again, I, I don't have tons of experience, but uh, from what I can tell you, of the shooting with R5, it was a beautiful, magical experience. The the files are just gorgeous. I love the high resolution and capability with the 45 megapixels you get out of it. Um, the autofocus is just magical. Uh, the color science is beautiful. Everything that everything everybody else has been saying about how great the camera is for stills, it is. It's just 
a really awesome camera. I don't think you can go wrong if you want to use it for news journalism or sports. I, or... I will say the one thing is that the A9 will be better in low light than the A5 than the, the Canon, and that's because of the the, the megapixel. Yeah, and and the, it's important. it's it's hands down. It's hands down because of the sensor. You have a 45 meg, uh, megapixel sensor, and the and the A9 has a sweet spot at a 24, which makes it better in low light, and it's also very fast uh, focusing in low light. Uh, and it's just going to give that little edge in low light that the the, the, the Canon is going to be beautiful and the resolution if you're shooting for resolution or something like that there's there's nothing bad about the canon but you will have an edge on the the low light with the a9 especially the a9 too convince sure. me already mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean it's, it's not a, it's I'm not, both cameras are great i just there there are pros and cons to any camera that you have and if you're trying to shoot 8k or you're trying to uh, a, a more res file then you go with the canon but if you're trying to have that edge in low light or, or have a, a fast camera that's you know just going to be then it's the a9 too i mean it's just it's not one's better than the other it's just one does something better than the other one does right and if if megapixels aren't as important and lower light is more important to you there's also the canon r6 Abs- which yeah, gives you a 24 megapixel sensor Dave, that's not going to be even in the same realm as an A92. So come on, oh, don't really? even, don't, don't, yeah, really? absolutely, uh, yeah. There's, there's okay. not even a, without a doubt, the A92 blows away the the Canon R6. I mean, that's not even a debate. In, in what category? In what category exactly? In every single category. Okay, what's the price difference between the cameras? <laughs> Yeah, of course, because one is a better camera, Dave. <laughs> okay, well, again, I mean, that's another factor you have to take into consideration right, right. what your price I, I'm is. Not, this isn't a Canon Sony thing. I, I said that the R, I said the R5 is a fabulous camera, and it's, it's, it depends on the tools. So I'm not I'm not debating one camera is better than the other. I'm saying there are certain benefits to one camera to another camera. That's all I was to say. Right, but you're pointing to lower light capability because it's a lower you know it's a lower resolution sensor, right? That's one of the reasons. I agree. I mean, that's why the Sony A7S III is a low light beast. I mean, if you want low light, honestly, get the A7S III. If you don't care about resolution, that's the camera to get right there more than any other camera, right? I mean, I think you'd agree that that's a better camera than the A9 II for not, low light capture, not, right? Not for journalism, not for for stills, because of the amount of stills that the A9 II can capture. No, they're, di- they're di- inherently different cameras. The, the, the A7S is, is, is a camera that is built basically for video. Uh, it does stills very well, but it's a video-centric camera at 12 megapixels. It has larger uh, pixels on its sensor, so it absorbs light better, and which makes it a very good video camera mm-hmm. uh, and a stellar one that is unmatched by many others, where the, the A92 is is geared on its sensor, the way it's uh, stacked, on the way the sensor's built, the way it's uh, the, the focusing in, the way the, the speed of it, the, way, the eye autofocus, everything about that camera but from its ethernet ports to its its connections to, to everything it makes it a journalistic camera uh which is uh, no other camera really has a lot of those functions except some of the you know the the canon uh the the, the x the d's and stuff like that and the nikon you know the, they're they're huge beasts of a camera the a92 is built like one of those cameras right so the a92 would be more on that class the 1dx the nikon d5 Absolutely. d6 that's Absolutely. where that camera is more so Absolutely. yeah i mean if that's if that's your market, if that's your target, then yeah, absolutely. Then there's I, I no reason to compare to it to the R6. Journalisms that are looking for the very best in their equipment. So that's why I, I, I'm catering my, my answers to these two. Yeah. I mean, again, Ooh. I think you can get a lot out of uh, you know a this 1DX. This is the heatest we've ever gotten on a camera to debate. What's that? <laughs> this is the uh, most heat we've ever gotten on a camera debate. And I'm not even saying don't get Canon or don't get Sony. I'm just saying one, uh, one, is, one is one and one is the other. Yeah, but again, I think if you compare this apples to apples with the R5, I think 
uh, this stacks up very well against the R5 with regard to certain There's aspects. There's so many great cameras out there. The X, the X4 Fuji is an amazing camera. The you know it's like is it, it it depends on the tools. Like you know the the Fujis are made like I, I think you can t set every little button before you turn on that camera it's the most old school digital new school camera you could possibly have so it's it's your style what you're looking for the way you shoot uh what's important to you in a camera all of these are you know different things so when someone says well what's the best camera out there there is no best camera out there it's it's it, you know it's yeah, it's I what agree. you shoot and how you shoot and if someone doesn't ask you yeah. what are you shooting and, and what's your you know what's important to you and and what ecosystem you want because you know there's a there's a huge ecosystem that you're buying into as well I, i'll tell you right now i i am a canon pro service and i'm sony Pro service, Canon Pro service. I can't walk into a place anymore. And Sony, I can walk into a place, and they're, you know, and and I can walk into New York. I can walk into LA and get my camera serviced and clean right there. I know the people; they take care of me. There is an ecosystem between Sony that I have not found in Canon, and I've been a Canon shooter much longer than I've been a Sony shooter. Uh, so there's 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 all these factors between you know and lens choices. You know, if you you know, so Fuji makes some incredible lenses and, and compact, and they're and you know, if you want a compact system, I think Fuji is an amazing compact system. And, and and you you know you've used the Panasonic, which is a beautiful video system and an incredible video system. But it really you know there's when you're 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 playing with hairs of what's going to make you that little edge. And sometimes when you're professional you know journalist or a photographer, you need that little edge. And I know the A9 for me is performed in a way that I've never seen another camera perform. And I own a Fuji medium format. I own a Canon 5D Mark IV. I own the Canon EOS. Uh, uh, are. I mean, it's not like I don't play with every system out there. And I, I just know that little edge, if I'm going to grab one camera that I need to rely on my career with, it's going to be the Sony. Wow. Wow. Well said. Very impassioned argument for Sony there, folks. There you go. You won me over. Anybody want this R5? I'm going to throw it away in the yeah. trash. I don't I'll even want this. I'll take it. Away. I'm just, I mean, uh, if you don't want it. This piece of garbage? I mean, please. Uh, but no. Like I said, there is no piece of garbage. There right. is no piece of garbage. Every camera oh, company out there is making great equipment, and it's it's it actually insane. And that's why you get in such heated debates because there are so many, gosh darn good cameras out there right now. There's yeah. so many great choices. You really can't make some bad choices. So it really is so important that you fine tune what you're looking for and play with them. There's so many places you can rent cameras from. Lens, you know, lensrentals.com. If you're tossed up between an A9 and a Canon, rent them both. Save yourself some time or money and go out and and a lot of places like Sony up until recently with COVID so that you could walk in and actually you know Sony had a place in New York City you could walk in and take a camera out for an hour or two and yeah. just play with it, but unfortunately now those those are you know right with COVID those can't do that kind of stuff. If you don't mind getting a pandemic you know disease then go yeah, for yeah. it you know. Uh, the bottom line well, I'll tell you for Evelyn and and we can talk more about it offline Evelyn if you have you know specific questions but you know the bottom line I'll tell you about the R five from my perspective is. As a Canon shooter, if you want the most seamless transition from a mirrored system to a mirrorless system, I think the R5 offers that for you. Um, you know, you're not a 1DX user. You know, you're not in need of the Ethernet port and certain other features that come from the extremely high end. You know, Canon cameras for the Canon. Right, camera so you can save the money just by the A9 instead of the A9 II. <laughs> Anyways, as I was saying, if you want the the seamless transition, I think. The R5 offers that. The R6 is also a good alternative for still shooters if that's what you want. I wouldn't recommend it for video shooters. And I literally wouldn't recommend the R5 for video shooters like who need you know, you know know constant ability to shoot video. 
Uh, I've been shooting a lot of AK with it, and it's been fine. It's held up fine. But if you're going to shoot AK, you need a solid-state workflow system. You need solid-state hard drives. You need The whole system needs to be solid-state from beginning to end. Otherwise, you're going to tear your hair out trying to edit any of the at least video. The photos are fine. The photos are like 45, 50 megabyte files. You know, So just make sure you've got the hard drive space for that. Uh, but again, I think for you, the R5 offers the most seamless transition. The one thing I will say from coming from Panasonic back to Canon, or at least, you know, again, I don't know if, how, if other Canons do this, but at least with the R5 or the R system, it's like having to switch from photo to video is like a two-button press action, which really irritates me with the Panasonic. If I just want to shoot video, I just press a video button. If I want to shoot photos, I press the photo button. You know, it's like... Little little thing, but again, it takes a little getting used to. Um, but uh, yeah, like like uh, Travis says, try them all out, see what works for you. But you know, again, that's my take. Yeah, that's a good take. I mean, I think the only like issues for me is like low light and focusing yeah. speed would be the deciding factor. Yeah. And um, I you know, I love how the Sony focused. I didn't love the menu system. I wouldn't get the A9, Travis. I like the A9 II so much better. Um, well, I, but, I agree with you. I said, yeah. if you want to save some money. <laughs> but so for me, it would be about, oh, and you know, of course I love that articulating screen. Um, and I guess the R5 has that. So then, yeah, for me, it would be how quick the focus is and how good it looks in low light. So if you can give me the answer to that, David J. Murphy, then. I may be able to decide once and for all. Okay, I'm going to go out and do some low light testing, but I will say a couple things. Uh, very angle display. That's what I love about it. Be able to pull that out, turn it all up and down. Uh, love that with the, the Canon. You can't get that on the A9 too, that at least I can tell here from these pictures. And then uh, with regard to low light, you are getting the dual image stabilization in both the lens and the camera body, uh, which from people who've, who've used both systems have said it's a little bit better on the Canon. Um, also there was one other aspect they said was a little bit, oh, the autofocus speed. Again, I can't tell you from personally, but what I've seen of people who've tested the two systems, they say it's a little bit faster on the Canon, but again, I don't think it's going to be, you know, magnificently faster. I think it's just from there being able to compare them side by side, you know, they felt the Canon was faster, but that could also be, it's, it's a newer camera or at least, you know, compared to the cameras they were shooting which may have been the a7 III and the a7R4, it was faster. So who knows, the next Sony camera could be even faster than Canon or the same speed. So, you know. Right. Gotcha. All right. Well, this was a very exciting equipment debate yeah. today. Because, you know, I'm like you, Mason. I mean, I hate, I always feel like it falls into like gender roles, but 90% of the guests we've had on, and including myself, we don't get that jazzed <laughs> about equipment. And Travis and Dave always are psyched up about the equipment. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know why that is, but yeah, we love our toys. <laughs> I guess you know, you, you know this actually helped me a lot because I have to change my my gear, and I'm trying to you know I'm procrastinating. Uh, I've been procrastinating for the last month, no for the, no for the last six months because I was so so so. Uh, in love with the A9, and but I, I I'm used to work with my Canon. Yeah. So I was like I'm I'm still or I was before this conversation I was I was still afraid of you know making the change 
and and, and be wrong about it. I was like, oh, I don't know if it's going to be a mistake or not. Yeah. But after this conversation, I think uh, I think maybe I'm going to jump to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, the one thing I'll say to you know you two and also anyone who's listening is know that both Travis and I um, have not experienced or whatever. You know, Canon. You know, uh, Travis doesn't have a Canon R5, right? So he can't talk. Maybe he's tried one. I don't know. But you know, to that regard, we're both in terms of talking from what we know, right? So I don't have a, a, Sony, a, a Sony A9 II, but Canon. You know, Travis doesn't have a, a Canon R5. So again, we both have our own experiences in terms of what we think is best. But ultimately, you have to make your own decision, and you know, it comes from trying yeah. everything out, if you can. Yeah, it it can sound silly, but for me, one 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 thing that is really important to take uh, under consider- consideration is the weight. You know, right. I'm not a very strong person. I'm skinny, mm-hmm. and I'm actually so tired of you know uh, uh, because I, I work with my with my gear all the time. Yeah, you know, I, I run with it. So so I'm I'm really tired of uh, of heavy cameras. I I want one that that is that allows me to move. Yeah, kind of like that. What is it? Mic- Panasonic oh, GH5 okay. Micro Four Thirds. Uh, if you, if weight is the issue, that's the way to go, right there. The Micro Four Thirds. Really looks big, actually. It it's big. actually what's funny is the body is bigger than their latest full frame body, the S5. The GH5 is bigger than that. But again, the whole system, the system as a whole, which encompasses the lenses and the bodies, are smaller, much smaller and lighter weight than your full frames. Okay. From my perspective. I don't know. I think I'm gonna stick to the Sony A9. Okay. <laughs> I've great. been so happy this last this last month uh, with it, and it's actually a little bit uh, um, lighter than than the than the Canon, which is actually easier. Nice. It's, it's super easy. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, come back on and tell us how it went, how your switching process went. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay, well, I think that's going to end this week's show. Uh, May soon, please tell us where people can find out more about uh, you and your work. Uh, okay, so I have, uh, sorry, I, I don't know why the some application opened automatically. Um, <laughs> you can find my work on my website is www.maisun.eu from Europe. And uh, also in Instagram, it's uh, uh, my soon photo. And um, well, in the newspapers and magazines, mm-hmm. I don't know, just look for my name. Yeah. And that's it. Oh, if you want to, if you like and you have time, if you want to check a documentary uh, in which I, I appear or start, I don't know how to say that. Uh, in Netflix, there's one uh, that is called "A Dying to Tell," and it's about a documentary. Well, it's it's a documentary about uh, war reporters, and uh, it's is is nice. So if you want to check it, is uh, "Dying to Tell" on Netflix. It's okay. going on my playlist right now. That's right. Oh, cool! <laughs> right after Tiger King. I've already watched that. Yeah. <laughs> now there's a great documentary for you right there. Real high-quality enter- journalism. Definitely entertaining, entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing unscrupulous yeah. at all. Um, uh, Evelyn, you got anything for us? Anything you want to throw out before we sign off? 
No, I'm good. Everything's cool here. Um, just busy in my personal life. These <laughs> next couple of weeks. So, and things yeah, are only going to get more busy professionally in the next few months. I think something's happening in November. I'm not really sure, but <laughs> might might change. September. Might, yeah. Oh, November. What's in? Oh, the election. You know, this election year normally. I'm <laughs> oh yeah. Busy. Normally oh, I would be busy. Right. I know. I forgot because there's no campaigning. Like normally right. you'd be on the campaign trail, but because yeah. of COVID, so it's like. This has been totally topsy-turvy, um, no conventions, no nothing. So it is like you forget all the, you know, as a photographer, I'm not doing very little. Yeah, yeah. so, okay. but I will cover election day for sure. Indeed. All right, we'll stay safe out there. And the uh, inauguration. Yeah. That should be fun, however it goes. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right, well, next week, I'll see your lovely faces again. Indeed. Yeah. Travis, you got anything for us before we sign off? Yeah, I'm starting a new blog where I'm going to be switching over, uh, selling my Sony equipment and switching over to the new R5. Uh, oh, and I want everybody to enjoy that. No. <laughs> How about you take my R5, I'll take all your Sony equipment. We'll call it a deal. Done. Done. Wait, I might not get mine back, though. Ha, 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 ha. LOL. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, yeah, if you like what you saw here, you want to talk to us after the fact, go to um, our website, aroundthelens.com. You can find links to all of our social media. We're on the Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Um, so go on there, like, comment, subscribe, follow, ring the bell, heart, share. I think I've, I think I've covered everything. And if you really, really want to be a super fan and support us financially, go to patreon.com slash aroundthelens and throw us a buck or more. Preferably more, but you know, a buck. We'll take a buck. We're, you know, we're, we're we like start the, anywhere. Yeah, we're like the guy on the side of the corner holding the can, or whatever. You know, asking for change. We're like that. Uh, visual journalism news for change. You know, that's. Anyways, <laughs> okay. Um, anyways, that's uh, been a great show. Uh, thank you all so much for your time, my soon. Thank you so much for taking time out. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for for inviting me. Yeah, you're always it's welcome back. It's been a back. pleasure. Great. Thank Absolutely. you. Love to have you. I will. Definitely. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, for Evelyn Hochstein and Travis Keyes, I am David J. Murphy. This has been Around the Lens, episode 242, and we are out of here. Thanks for listening to Around the Lens. We hope you enjoyed the show. To continue the conversation, head on over to one of our social media outlets, such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. To support the show financially, consider donating to us via Patreon. For show notes from this week's episode and links to everything else we talked about, just go to our website, aroundthelens.com. Finally, if you or someone you know might be a good guest for the show, get in touch with us via email at info at aroundthelens.com. <laughs>